My name is Johnny Levy. I'm one of the teaching elders here, and I will be uh, teaching out of the ESV if you're interested in the version that I'm using for the scriptures. And a quick review of Brian's sermon last week. Uh, um, so we were, he took the angle, which I, th- I thought was actually brilliant, of talking about the need for, for the brother, or reconciliation from the brother's standpoint, right? And so how they had done this horrible thing to their brother, the ways that it was eating them alive, but then how it was important for them during the process of reconciliation to truly understand, right? To try to understand the damage that they had done. Um, and that being, being very important in order to, uh, he ended in a place that I thought was unexpected, talking about the role of this process in being in a healthy community, right? So that part of being in a healthy community is, is being a person who's able to see when you're wrong, engage with, what, with that wrong, right? Like, like not just sweep it under the rug, but actually engage with that wrong. Uh, and, and then how that then empowers you to be humble and to be in community and to have, have vibrant relationships, uh, which I thought was beautiful. And so now we're going to kind of continue the process going into the next, because he, he was even said that the last chapter is kind of transitional. And so I have to take that one into account as I, as I deal with 45, which is the great reveal. And the name of this sermon is Perfect Provision. Uh, everybody knows, or you should know by now, that I've been fixated on the peas for the last uh, two sermons. And, and today I will not disappoint. I got some more peas for you today. The pea train uh, has left the station. So... Taking you back, we talked about the promise, the process, the perfection. Last, last time I preached was the procession, right? God making a show of us. And we get to talk this week about the provision, the lavishness of his provision, and his peace, right? Those two things, those are the two peas I'll be covering today. And the question I want to start us out with, because this really is the defining question of where we're going with this passage is how good is God, and how good are his intentions towards me? All right, so I want you to think about that for a moment. Like, really, not, not just what you should, like what the Sunday School textbook answer to the question is, but actually in your own experience, how good do you believe God's intentions actually are towards you? And then we're going to get to see in the story of Joseph these themes of peace, intimacy, and nearness right? Peace, intimacy, and nearness in this testimony. And, and we're going to get to see moments where, where not just we, but the people in the story, the people in the narrative are feeling like it's, what's happening to them is too good to be true, right? They're feeling like this is too much. This is too good. This is too beautiful. This is too much forgiveness. This is too kind. And I don't quite think I can believe it. Right? And then we're going to take that and we're going we're to show how God is making a show of his own character in the way that he's using Joseph. Amen? So to start with, I'm going to start with Romans 5.1 because Romans 5.1 is almost, it's almost an analysis of the text. And so we're going to look at uh, Romans 5.1, uh, I think the first five verses in Romans. And it says, uh, just follow with me there. You actually don't need to turn there, sorry. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about, have, have you meditated on that before? What does it mean that what's been given to you is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? Not only so, 
but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And get this, hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So you could almost overlay this over everything I've been talking about. The promise, the pro- this talks so much about the process, right? That process that we're going through that's so painful and so full of suffering. And then the perfection that is being, right? The maturity of heart and soul that's being worked into us. That's right there, right? Suffering produces character. And then hope does not make us get put to shame, right? This idea that God's doing something. He's going to be glorified. He's going to show his glory through us in the procession, right? So that's contained here. Um, And then this idea that Christ died for the ungodly. This idea that Christ, through his sacrifice, brought us near, right? Brought us near to God. Nearer than we ever thought we could be or or ever deserved to be. And And yet he did it. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to filter that through the text, and we're going we're gonna to get, get a little bit more of that. But I'm also going to hit you with James 5.11. And this is kind of a zoom-out text, and so this is a point where, uh, where James is actually zooming out uh, from the biblical record and, and, and drawing some conclusions. He says, uh, James 5.11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, Right? So he's bringing to mind the story of Job. Right? We know the story of Job. We know, you know few people in Scripture have been afflicted like that man was afflicted. Right? So you've seen this, or you've heard the steadfastness of Job, and then what do we conclude from seeing that? And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See, now how many of us look at the story of Job and see that as God putting on a clinic of his compassion and his mercy? Right? But that's what James tells us. And I love how the King James puts it. It says, you've seen the end of the Lord, right? You've seen the end of the Lord. You've seen the end of the story. You've seen the fullness of God's intentions, uh, the fullness of God's intentions, which is that he's compassionate and merciful. And so uh, a question for you, if we see the end of the Lord, right? If God's giving this opportunity to fast forward to the end of the story and just see the story played out in these little mini stories throughout Scripture, what do you think that's intended to create in us, right? God's showing that to us. So you don't have to answer me, but just think about it. What, or, or what responsibilities does that create in us, right? If God's given us the opportunity to fast forward to the end of the story and to see how it ends by showing us all these examples. And so now let's jump into the text. So Genesis chapter, uh, I'm going to go back actually. So Genesis 44, uh, it's kinda, it kind of requires me to, to dip, to double dip a little bit. So Genesis 44, 32 through 34, we're going to start there and then we'll jump into 45. And this is, this is Judah when he takes Joseph aside and he's, he's pleading for, for Joseph not to take Benjamin away, right? He's pleading with him, don't take Benjamin, it's going to kill our dad. Don't, take, don't make us do this thing, right? And he says, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, this is super important. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. He says, Take 
me instead. Do you hear that? All that's happened, and now we finally have the moment where Judah does the thing that he should have done, that should have been done from the beginning, when he says, take me instead, right? Rather than repeat what I did with Joseph when I was the one, right? Like we go back to flashback to Genesis 37, Judah's the one that said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our flesh. See, that's not a credit to Judah, right? It's, not, it's like, well, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery so we never have to see him again, right? That was Judah. Judah said that. Judah's responsible for the living hell that he created, right? That they created as a family for this young man who, who was not deserving of it. And yet that same Judah now says, take me instead. Amen? Look what God does in the hearts of his people. And to some degree, I think this, this is what breaks the whole thing open, right? Like this is what needed to happen. And so, uh, so now Joseph reveals himself, right? Now, now into, into chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by. It's a very emotional, <laughs> this is a very emotional passage. Uh, maybe the, 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 the most emotional passage we've seen yet going through Genesis. Um, and he cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made, known, made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And I don't know how far Pharaoh's house was, but the dude must have been crying pretty loud, right? So Pharaoh's household hears it. Like everybody knows Joseph's like, what's, is he getting stabbed? What's happening? Like Joseph is just wailing. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Okay? So this is where we get to start. We get to watch. This, it's, it's such a beautiful thing that unfolds here. So why are they dismayed? Well, because they're guilty. <laughs> right? They're dismayed. This is, they're not happy to see their brother Joseph. They're dismayed to see their brother Joseph. Now, now, also part of the reason that they're dismayed is that they do not know him and they do not know his intentions, right? What they do know is that he has the power, he has the motive, and he has the opportunity to do them great harm, right? And that's what they deserve. They also know that. So you put all those things together and I can see why they would be dismayed, right? I think any of us would be dismayed if we were in their place. Now, to some degree, I want to keep kind of drawing this out, that Joseph is being used to make a display of who God is and his character in so many ways, which we've seen. Um, but haven't we seen the same thing when we see, uh, see people that come into the presence of an angel or come into the presence of God himself and they fall down like dead men, right? Like there's something, like, like, like when you, a sinner, come into the presence of a holy God, who has the power, the motive, and the opportunity to do you great harm, right? To snap his fingers and you're gone. And, and so often what we see is, is, is people responding with dismay, with fear, with trembling, um, or, or just being completely unable to, to process what's going on and falling on their face, right? Like that's what happens when we come into the presence of, of the judgment that we deserve, actually, right? Because part of it is we know this is holy and I'm not. And so, 
to, to a degree, that's what we're seeing, right? We're seeing, we're seeing brothers that know that Joseph didn't deserve what they did to him, and the reckoning is upon them, and they're dismayed. And now watch what Joseph does. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. We're going to keep seeing this language, right? Like just, let, just see the father here, right? Just see, the, see Joseph, but see the father, see Christ. Come near to me, please. Right? He sees that they're afraid. He sees that they're dismayed. And his response is, come a little closer. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Right? So, you know, it's not looking so good for the good guys right now. Right? Or the bad guys, however you want to put it. It's, it's, it's come near to me. Come near to me. But I'm going to speak out into the open, the thing that you've kept secret for 20 years, right? The thing that did not come out of your mouth, that you did not tell our father what happened to me. You, you did not make it known. And even as Joseph is sitting here grilling them and putting the screws to them and causing them to be in these incredibly uncomfortable situations and has all this secret knowledge that they don't understand how he knows these things and is, is basically setting the table for them to come clean and they never do. And so Joseph comes clean for them, doesn't he? This is the moment where, where the reckoning happens, the judgment happens. This is what you did, right? And so if they were dismayed before, I wonder how they're feeling now. <laughs> and that's significant. You know, they were unable, even though this thing was eating them up, even though, right, you can tell by the way they're reacting, this thing was eating them up, they were unable to come into the light, right? Unable, unwilling, you know, they, they, they couldn't come into the light. But there was much good that God was doing through them, but that remained a difficult point. And so, so the sin is reiterated. It's out in the open. It's floating in the air between them. And this is what Joseph says next, which is unimaginable. <laughs> it's unimaginable what Joseph says here. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. All right. Do you see, do you, I mean, do you, I know you see it. Like, do you feel what's going on here? It, this amazing thing where it's like, come close to me. You did this unthinkable thing. Now don't feel bad about it. <laughs> right? Don't worry yourselves over it. God did it to me. I don't hold it against you because it was God. See, Joseph was in the place where he could see God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Romans 5, 6. So I'm going to keep coming back, right? Just tying this back. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, see there, there's no deserving in them. There is no sense in which there's anything that's being done here that has anything to do with merit because if it was merit, they would all be dead or in a dungeon. 
right? So we get to see the lavish forgiveness and goodness of God and how it just doesn't make sense. And it doesn't even make sense to them. And so I just want to keep tying back to this idea of God's provision, like what God's intentions are towards us, God's provision towards us is truly unthinkable. It's truly lavish. It's glorious. It's inexpressible. It's beyond what the human mind can even get, get a hold of, right? That's the kind of love and the kind of favor and the kind of goodness that God has for us. And I just, I'm going to keep trying to help us to understand that through words with the understanding that words cannot get us there, but man, Holy Spirit, do a work because, because the treasure that we have is, is unimaginable and, and we have it. And we get to see more through this, how this plays out of what that looks like and what, well, you know, what God has given us. So Jacob, now I'm going to fast forward real quick. So, so, so this happens, there's this forgiveness happening, I'm going to fast forward. Now Jacob dies about 17 years later. And, and, and uh, Brian quoted that scripture in his sermon. And I'm going to quote it again, not the whole thing. But Jacob dies about 17 years later. So this forgiveness happens here. This incredible reconciliation happens here. And then 17 years later, Jacob dies. Now, and, and this is what they say. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Right? Remember? So, so then he sends, they send messengers and, the mess, and they ask for forgiveness. Right? Now, they did, if you remember, they didn't ask for forgiveness before. So this part had never been done, but Joseph forgave him anyway, right? And so now, so now they're going to ask for forgiveness, and they're, and they're going to say, and they're, and they're insecure. Why are they insecure? Why are they fearful? Because they think it's too good to be true, y'all. They think it's too good to be true that they could have done what they did and that Joseph could have actually forgive them, uh, forgiven them and not only forgiven them, but brought them near and then provided for their family forever. Does that make sense? Like how, how could he do that? How could anyone do that for me, right? That's the thinking that brings them to this conclusion that they need to now go through this whole process again. But watch what, jo- watch what Joseph does. What does he say after, the, after it's all said and done? He says, do not fear for am I in the place of God? right? Am I in the place of God to now render judgment upon you like it's in the past? As for you, you meant evil against me, but he reiterates, God meant it for good. Like I told y'all, didn't I tell you? It wasn't you, it was God, right? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Like look, just listen to the provision, right? That word keeps coming up. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't that beautiful? Right? Like he's just, the thing had already been done, right? Like the forgiveness had already taken place. He had already brought them into the fold and provided for their every need. And yet they still didn't feel it, right? There were times when they didn't feel it. When it was all said and done, they still questioned it. How How could your intentions towards me be that good, Joseph? You know, you ever do that? You see where I'm going? You see where I'm going? We think it's too good to be true. They thought it was too good to be true. But this is all just to help us to see, man, how far above our earthly mindset and expectations is this love that has been provided to us through Christ Jesus. Amen. 
And so now Joseph continues, right? So, so, so again, I went to the future, now I'm back to the, to the past um, and as, as, as this reconciliation is being worked out between the brothers. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You hear that? He keeps saying, I just want you near me, right? I just want you close to me. I just want to be intimate with you. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you. There's the word again, right? Lavish, beautiful, unthinkable provision. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see me, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then, catch this, he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After this, his brothers talked with him. All right, so, so what, has been, what, is, what is being provided here? Well, there's so many dimensions of it. First of all, I'm going to take care of you physically, right? Like physically, this famine, this deadly famine is here, and I'm going to save you from that famine. I'm going to give all the things that are needed to your bodies and the bodies of your family and your flocks and your herds. I'm going to take care of you physically. But, but something else is given to them, right? Intimacy. He kisses them. He weeps on them. He holds them close. He puts their skin to his skin. Do you see what's going on here? It's not just his stuff. It's, his, it's himself, right? You have peace with me now, right? That's like if they could hear it, if their minds could, could, could conceive of it, if their hearts could, could allow for the, the possibility of it, what's being given to them is peace with the brother that they destroyed, which is unthinkable. And again, a reflection of this perfect provision of God, this perfect peace that we have, right? Taking you right back to Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God, right? Peace, held, kissed, right? Skin to skin, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because what Jesus did was that effective and that final, that every sin you can think of in your mind while I'm preaching this, washed away. God doesn't, rem- he's not sitting there thinking, yeah, if, 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 if it goes wrong here, if they do this thing, then the full weight of my wrath is going to come, right? That's not what God's thinking. But we think it is because we think God's like a man and God is not like a man or a woman. God is God. He's something totally different. And Joseph gets to be a vessel for this. And we get to be vessels for this kind of love. Amen? So God has provided. And then I'll take you just just real small detour, not really. You know, why? Right? Like, like how could they get off clean without paying the debt? Right? That's the question, isn't it? How could they get off clean without paying the debt? Is it fair? Is that justice? How, how, How does that work? And I will say here, because God provided, right? Like we see this throughout scripture that God provides a surrogate for his wrath, right? Constantly. 
and then it culminates in Christ. But we see it happening throughout Scripture. You remember Abraham? He's about to, right, coming down with the knife. The angel says, don't lay a hand on the boy. I've got something for you. There's a ram over here. Go ahead and kill this ram instead. And what what does Abraham call that place? God has provided. That's what he calls the place where the sacrifice happens. God's provision, his lavish, beautiful, unthinkable provision. So he provided. Who did he, who did he provide here? Joseph, right? Joseph endured the things that they should have endured for the wickedness that was in their hearts, right? Joseph wasn't guilty, was he? He was not guilty. And yet he rots away in prison. He's falsely ac- accused, right? He has the shackles on his wrists and on his neck, right? He's crying out and weeping in prison because he can't see his family, right? Like Joseph was the sacrifice in this scenario. If I can build, you know, maybe an imperfect um, parallel. Uh, and, and so Joseph absorbs the debt. Joseph absorbs it, right? Because he did have the right for retribution. And he bypasses his right for, for retribution and he applies it to God, right? He says, you didn't do this to me. God did it to me, right? There's things going on there that, are, that, that will make my brain explode. <laughs> um, and then lastly, love covers a multitude of sins. What we see is this outpouring of love that erupts out of Joseph at this moment, right? It erupts and it pours out on his brothers and, uh, and, and this love covers all of their sins, And God is the one who gave Joseph this ability. So when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded. So Pharaoh's like, no, Joseph, I command you. <laughs> right? Isn't that beautiful? Like, Pharaoh, like, these people love Joseph. Like, Joseph, they just, can you just imagine what Joseph, like, like just the blood, sweat, and tears that he put in for this nation to, to cause this loyalty and admiration from Pharaoh and all of his court, where they just love him, Right? And they're just like, no, 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 we're just waiting for, like, those are your brothers? Oh, man, I command you, Joseph, to just heap blessings on them. (laughs) Give them all the riches, Joseph, right? That's what Pharaoh's saying. The best of the land, and Joseph, you're commanded, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. See, this is is even more so, right? Like Joseph's saying, I'm going to take care of you. Come on, come on, come dwell. I'm going to take care of you. And what does Pharaoh say? I'm going to make you rich, <laughs> right? Pharaoh says, you're going to get the best that Egypt has to offer, right? Because now they're rich by association. They're rich by association because of Joseph's relationship with Pharaoh, and that extends out to all of Joseph's family. And if Joseph has goodwill, then the Pharaoh has goodwill, and, uh, and they, get, they get even more blessing from it. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph, this part is a trip, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes, 
To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and the 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way, right? See, there's a lot of grace here, but there's still some justice, amen? Like, it's not like there's, there's, it's the best of both worlds, right? Because we have a God who is infinitely gracious, infinitely merciful, and infinitely just, And both of those things exist at the same time. And so we get to see here, you know, there's judgment happening in this passage, right? Well, what's the judgment? You know, the brothers, they get a change of clothes. Benjamin gets seven changes of clothes. Or was it 10? I don't know. Five changes of clothes. And he gets uh, 300 shekels of silver, right? You know, Joseph wasn't involved in the plot. Or uh, Benjamin wasn't involved in the plot. You see what I'm saying? So there are different right? Like it's, it's, there, there is inequality in the reward, right? Now, do you think jo- Joseph's brothers are mad about it at this point? <laughs> right? Because like, no, we actually deserve to be tortured right now. So you give me one set of clothes, I bless your name. Amen? Right? Like there, there is a sense in which, right, there, there, is a, there is, it's not absent of judgment, but, but all the judgment is within the context of joy and within the context of the penalty having been totally eradicated right? So there is no penalty, and yet there, there is inequality of gifts. And, and, and to some degree, we have some, some sense and some, some, uh, some evidence that that's kind of how it is in heaven, right? That it's not like just this, everybody gets the same thing, but that there are different levels and different gifts given to different people and, and things like that, but that we're all going to be able to enter into that with joy because our sinful desire to say, you have that and I want it, or I deserve what you had, is going to be gone. And we're going to just be able to appreciate right? Appreciate what everybody has. And then also, do not quarrel on the way, right? We have the, the admonition, right? Like, yes, you've been forgiven. Don't do it again, right? It's like when Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, hey, you know, where are your accusers? Well, they're nowhere, Lord. So says, well, I don't accuse you, but don't go sin anymore, right? Like, like how do we put that together? I mean, only God does, right? Like, we don't know how to how to, how to both be infinitely just and infinitely gracious, but we get to see it here in Christ, and then we get to see it worked out through Joseph, right? So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is a ruler over all the land of Egypt, and his, and his heart became numb, right? What, ha- what happened to Jacob? His heart became numb, for he did not believe them. We're going to do a lot with that. Well, a little, medium. <laughs> but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So what we get to see one more time, right? is this idea that the lavishness of God is so great that for a moment you think it's too good to be true, right? And so the response is, Jacob, they're, they're like, hey, yeah, Joseph's chilling and running things in Egypt, dad, and his heart becomes numb. Why does it become numb? Because he doesn't believe them, right? He doesn't 
believe. He's too wounded to hold on to hope, right? That happens. It happens. So you can understand why the heart would become numb. But what revives his heart? When he believes. When he believes, his heart is revived. And so what I want to do is I pray right now in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be revived. Amen? That our hearts would be revived, that we would dare to hope and believe that the things that God says in his word that seem so unbelievable or so difficult for us to bring into the realm of what could actually happen are all 100% true. And that we could have a, a response to that in our hearts that is, that is proportionate to the goodness of the gifts of God. Amen. That's what I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would do for us. So, I asked the question in the very beginning. What are God's intentions towards us? Remember? Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But I want us to be thinking about, or what I want to kind of be in the air is, is us really trying to come to terms with what we've thought God's intentions were towards us. And then what God's intentions are are towards us in the scripture and trying to re reconcile those things, right? Because what we see in this passage, like if we, if, you know, when we see, when we see Joseph go to the, to the cupbearer and say, hey, don't forget me. And then we see that Joseph gets left in prison for two more years after that, right? Or, or whatever points along the way. And, and I were to ask you, man, what do you think about God's intentions? You might have a different answer for me, Right? But God's trying to pull us out, show us the whole story, so that we have to hold the reality of what his intentions actually are when the smoke clears and when it's all said and done, right? So I want us to try to do the work to, to make room for that, that where you're at today, which might not be a great place, right? You might not be Joseph, king of Egypt, right, showering wagons and treasure, you know, th you know, throwing it like confetti, <laughs> right? You might be Joseph in prison. You might identify somewhere else along the story, but by the grace of God, I pray that we might have the miracle of hope, right? The miracle of hope, and, and, and that's only because of who God is and what he says and what his, what his stated intentions actually are, right? What is the end of God? right? What is the end of God? You said, you, you've seen Job, you've seen Job, you've seen his life, but what's the end of God that he's merciful and full of compassion? That's the end of God. That's who he is. That's his intentions towards you, right? I mean, if God's intentions are to just wreck you, you're in trouble anyway, <laughs> because ain't nobody can stop God from wrecking you if, that's, if God just wants to wreck people, but that's not the God we worship, Right? We worship a merciful and a compassionate God. So let's get the worship team to come on up. And I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. There are no words. We don't have the words of gratitude that we ought to have. We, we don't have words big enough to convey to you how good you are, how kind you are.
And so to some degree, we know that we are sitting here um, in need of, of our hearts to be enlightened, which was what, what Paul prayed so many times for the, for the Ephesians, for others, that, that our hearts could be enlightened, right, to know the love of God. Um, the height and depth and length and breadth and to know the love of God that surpasses understanding that we might be filled with the fullness of God, showing us that to some degree our, 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 our lives being filled with the fullness of God is contingent upon how well we get this, right? The height and breadth and length and depth of the love of God. And so I pray, Lord, through these humble words, you know, this, this humble venue, this, this moment in time where we're all hanging out together, that your spirit would do that, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts to see how good you are and how good your intentions are for us in such a way that drives us, Lord, that calls us, that urges us towards worship and gratitude and praise and being comforted comforted, and a sense of security and a sense of peace. You know, there may be some in this room who, who, who haven't known peace in a while. But your, your word tells me, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I just pray, Lord, that for many hearts in this room, you would bring those green pastures today, Lord. You'd bring those still waters to us. So that we may rejoice as we see Joseph rejoicing in the passage, as we see Lord Jacob rejoicing in the passage, as we just seek to be a people drenched with the gospel of Jesus Christ, filled to overflowing with the good news of God's good intentions towards mankind. And let us taste this, let us drink deeply of this today so that we can go out and share it with others who are broken and in darkness and who have done horrible things and who think they can't be redeemed. We love you, Father. Do super abundantly more than we can ask or think today, Lord. Today. Today we resolve to hear your voice and not to harden our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. We close with the question, what are God's intentions towards us? And I think the next question is, do we believe, right? Remember uh, Jacob? He didn't believe and his heart became numb. And so the question, the question isn't God's intentions. It's never, that's never the question, right? Like for those of us who are born again and who, who believe, the we, we serve a God who is who he is, who is good, who is perfect in all of his ways. So the question is not, right? The question is not, is God good? The question is, do I believe it, right? That's where we're tested. And so uh, 
as I've prayed for us, prayed for our hearts to be expanded even more to, to, to hold that glorious revelation, I want to reaffirm that with just a couple of scriptures. I've got one, two, three, four, five, uh, five scriptures that I'm going to read to just hopefully cement this in a little. That's like my, my cement guy's tool. Okay. Cement, it's like a, I don't know what you call that. Okay. A trowel. Cement this in for you. First uh, Corinthians 2.9. And again, right, like these, these sound like hyperbole when you read them out loud. They sound too good to be true. So let's rejoice over the fact that they are true every word and probably even mean more than we can understand as opposed to less. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Right? You remember? Joseph's like, come near to me. I just want you to be with me. Bring your kids. Bring your family. I'm going to provide for all of you. Right? You're taken care of. I've got you. Ephesians 3.14. Now to him who is able to do super abundantly, like Paul with the words, right? Like super abundantly, more than we can ask or think, according to his mighty power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, right? If God gave you a billion dollars, why would he withhold a dime from you? Does that make sense, right? Like, like that's the argument that's being used here. If he gave the most precious thing, then why would he withhold anything, anything else? 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. How many things? All. All, does he mean all? 99.9%? No, all things. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. So let no one boast in men for all things things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Amen. We can't even get our heads around that, but man, Holy Spirit, make it so, right? Make it so that these cannot just be words on a page, great promises in a book, but man, we need more than that, don't we? <laughs> man, we need that in our hearts. The strength to believe. And so now we enter into, uh, as we continue response time, I just want to, uh, I want to give the call out, uh, the call to be born again, right? The, the, the call for those of you who have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to hear what I'm preaching, to hear the words, right? And for the Spirit to be doing the work, for you to be able to, to just get that, that, that desire in your heart, like, man, I kind of want to taste that, right? Like there's something here for me that peace with God that is being described here, what would that be like, right? And it may be that the Lord is awakening you to enter into this covenant relationship with the God who is the definition of good, the definition of righteousness, the definition of mercy, right? And for those, uh, uh, for those of us who need to repent, because it may be that we see that we fall short, 
that we see that, yes, God is so good, but we're like, you know, we're like uh, those brothers, you know, sending word to, to, to Joseph like, hey, now that dad's dead, you're going to kill us now? You're going to kill me, Lord? Am I going to go to hell, Lord? You're going to ruin me, Lord, because I know I deserve it. Well, see, God's answer is repent, <laughs> right? Repent. But also, his, give, his, his forgiveness is guaranteed. Does he not say, confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Did he not promise that? Would God be, would God be just or unjust if he was unwilling to forgive you when you ask for forgiveness? See, God has said himself that he's faithful and just to forgive you. He would be unjust not to forgive you for your sins. That's how lavish the forgiveness of God is. So yes, why would you not repent, right? Why would you not repent and say, Father, I've sinned and I deserve your wrath, and yet I get your grace? Because of who you are, not because of who I am. And it's not because I need to do this elaborate set of um, penitencies to get your forgiveness. You said confess. call to giving, right? In this glorious interactive relationship that we have, you have the opportunity to give to the Lord in the context of your relationship with him, not because the pastor told you you have to, right? And so we've got boxes for giving over at, uh, at the front by the crosses and in the back for those of you uh, who, uh, who, who, would, who would give to the work that's happening in this church for the glory of God. And then we've got a call to remembrance, to remember the price that was paid for us to be in this room today. And I'm going to read you Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. See, that's all we got to see today, right? Joseph was the one that had to bear the marks, right? On a small scale, Jesus was the one that bore the marks of Joseph's sin and my sin and the sin of every human that ever lived so that we can call God Abba Father. Amen. And so we got the, we've got communion here for only for those who are believers in Christ, right, um, to, uh, uh, to remember. And finally, I want to call you to prayer. We don't want to fall short of the fullness of experience that God has for us of his promises and his grace. And one of the ways that we enter into that is by humbling ourselves and asking someone to pray for us. Amen. And so we have uh, my sister Jordan from the women's ministry who's going to pray for you. I will pray for you, um, you know, but we always say this, or tap the person next to you and they will pray for you. But don't leave the room without getting prayer because prayer has power. And uh, we'll now continue to worship. <laughs>